Welcome to 25 Minutes of Unfinished Business with me, Alex Brayshaw. So why are we here, I hear you ask? Well, I've got some unfinished business, and so have my guests. And in 25 minutes, we're going to find out a lot more about what that is. We're going to celebrate great businesses and sectors, and the stories of the people behind them, and probably head in a few weird and wonderful directions too, hopefully. Whatever happens, I'm massively excited to learn more. So it's time for some unfinished business. Now let's take a walk through the enviable CV of my next guest. Seriously, this is an incredible journey. Fiona Sweeney is a digital health expert, having spent over 15 years in the healthcare and digital sector. Her career has seen her deploy to Afghanistan when she was a captain in the British Army. She's travelled the world as a physiotherapist with England Rugby. She's worked with pre-professional ballet dancers at the Royal Ballet School, where she established a world-leading performance healthcare service. And that's not all. She's also a former Femtech founder who is now digital health lead for Holland and Barrett, and also mentors startups on the NHS Innovation Accelerator. See what I mean? It's incredible. All of this is why I wanted to speak to her today. Welcome, Fee. Hi, Alex. Thanks very much for having me. I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. But first of all, how on earth have you fitted all of that in so far? Surely you can't have any unfinished business. I think the problem is, is that as you go through your career and through life stages, uh, the problems you see around you seem to just become more apparent and potentially even bigger. And then I had children. And so my perception of the world changed. And I thought, I really want to make the world better for my children. And so I think the unfinished business will always be unfinished. Indeed. Well, that's, you know, incredible. And I think given the background you've got, I can see kind of how that how that sort of uh, comes comes to life. So we've talked about digital health in your introduction. I'm really keen to find out more about that. This is a massively dynamic sector. There's loads of investment going into it in the UK and, and globally. And there's some incredible kind of businesses working in this sector as well, as well as the people, of course. So tell me a bit more about where you think it's heading over the over the next few years, where the innovations are coming from and what, why it matters? Well, it matters so much because we have got a huge amount of disparity when it comes to both ha- access to healthcare. And then in the UK, what we're really seeing is an increasing divide in longevity. And that means that the number of people who are living longer and the number of people who aren't experiencing that increase in healthy life years is widening. And that can be over the case of even one county. You might have a difference in life expectancy of 10 years. And that's just in the UK. And if we think globally, um, the difference between access to healthcare in countries like UK and the US compared with uh, less developed countries is just enormous. In terms of what we can expect from the sector over the next coming years, well, Unfortunately, we've seen a drop in uh, investment from venture capitalists over the over the past 12 months or so. But this is in relative terms compared with the huge increase in funding we saw during the COVID times. What we're seeing is a lot more companies basing their propositions on significant amounts of data. And those are the companies I think that we're going to see that win longer term. And by that, that means they're doing drug discovery, they're doing digital therapeutic discovery. And this is based on larger data sets from which they can then personalise solutions to either groups of people or even to individuals. So a lot of this is about the personal um, aspect of digital health and how you provide the right digital services for the right people with the right 
um, conditions. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're getting much more access to um, blood tests. Um, there's a big genomics program going on in the UK, which is funded by the government. Um, we have huge data companies like uh Google and Apple, who are just collecting so much information on us. And you have period tracking apps in the women's health sector that have got longitudinal data about uh, their users. And using this data with researchers and data scientists, we can draw out so many insights that can then inform future innovations. It's interesting. I was reading some stuff recently saying that the um, the trust within citizens, with you know, between all of all of us, in terms of allowing our data to be used it's gone up quite a lot it's almost doubled in terms of people's um willingness to share data i think there's kind of if people understand what it's being used for and the value they're going to get because i think sometimes people said oh you know we don't want to share data with some of these companies but i think it was not understanding where how it was going to be used but this to see these these kind of statistics going up in terms of that willingness to share data is really interesting I agree. And I think COVID was um, a big factor in that. And But digital health companies really need to be transparent with their use of data. Um, there's a big piece of work at the government going on at the moment into how we can use anonymized data for research and what consent we need to get for that. But yes, absolutely. It, it is all about transparency of data. The challenge we have in healthcare is that, and I guess in all other sectors, is that, that those data regulations change as you cross borders, uh, which will forever present a challenge to digital health companies. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, exactly. And I guess we feel much more comfortable about it because mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, there's almost an expectation set. If you're using kind of health trackers and things personally and fitness trackers, you kind of, you can kind of see the impact and you can kind of do something about it. It's almost like the health public health care is behind that in terms of the expectation of what technology should do to make, to make it easier for all of us. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and then again, we do have that huge divide, don't we, between um, what the tech companies can do and, uh, and the capability within the NHS. And interestingly, you know, the pace of innovation and development within the private sector will always outstrip that of the public sector. You mentioned a couple of companies there. Is there anybody that really stands out for you in terms of whether it's startups, whether it's kind of new ventures. I think I read something that said there were almost 3,000 digital health um, companies in the UK, which is which is an incredible amount. So within that, there must be some massive innovations and also kind of quite um, specific areas, I'm sure. But what, are there any areas you go, that's, that's where people are really kind of accelerating? I think there are so many areas that I get really excited about. Um, I, I get quite interested in point of care testing. We got really used to that during COVID, people being able to on the spot find out if they had COVID or not. And if we can extend that to um, other areas such as cardiovascular disease, even some cancers, to really help um, the population shift away from illness to preventative healthcare, then I think that's so exciting. And there are many companies that are operating in this space. On the more sort of like sexy side of consumer healthcare, I think a really exciting company is one called Zoe, which people may well be familiar with. They are led by um, a researcher called Tim Spector, who's pretty famous when it comes to social media. Uh, or they may have seen the yellow continuous glucose monitors that people wear on their arms. Now, what excites me about them isn't necessarily the, the consumer tests and the consumer proposition they have. But what I'm really interested in is that they are they have based all of their innovation on a huge data set that they started during COVID. So they collected a huge amount of demographic information as well as background health data on, uh, or I think, millions of uh, people in the UK. 
they now have access to those people to essentially conduct smaller research studies on. And so they can really rapidly develop their consumer products using this huge data set and get pretty much real time um, information back. Wow, that's incredible. I, I can only see that just getting bigger and bigger. Um, I sort of, I, I think my only worry is I, I worry about people like, you know, whether it's my parents and things who are not very techy and, you know, how do they, you know, use some of this stuff. But I guess as it starts to become more pervasive, um, there'll be easier ways to access it and easier ways for people with, you know, different te technology skills to, to, to kind of access this stuff. I, I think that's the great point. And when it comes to consumer health tech, yes, absolutely the price point these things come in at are targeting the sort of worried well almost and the, definitely the people who have got the money to pay for it. Um, the NHS are very much aware of that and they're looking at equity within digital health and they're actually looking to see if they can develop a, a way to assess digital health technologies to give them a score to show how accessible they are and how equitable they are. Because again, you know, you take a company like Zoe and their data set's fantastic, but actually, who is it based on? It's based on those worried, well, the affluent people in the country, which means that actually, can you take that data set and apply it to a different demographic? You know, one who comes from a different socioeconomic group who might come from a different cultural background. Well, no, you can't. You know, we know that that is one problem when it comes to data. And if we look about look towards AI and digital health, you know, that's a real challenge for researchers. They have to be um, more aware of getting a broader range of, of people when it comes to collecting data, because otherwise, you know, you, you're not able to apply AI models to that and then apply it to everybody in the country. Indeed. And, and that's always been a problem with pre-tech, hasn't it? You know, testing, you know, um, medical testing has always been done on specific groups. I think it's always skewed towards men and things like that. So it hasn't taken into account the effect on, on women or, um, as well. So that's always been an issue. So hopefully it'll try and address some of that actually it should give an opportunity to maybe level that out more yeah and the challenge we have within digital health sector with that is that's a long play and in order to mm. really get investors on board they have to understand that to collect that level of data to really build that baseline is is not going to give you quick returns indeed so in terms of how you've got to where you've got to now what's the sort of the the, the sort of common thread that runs through it sort of really kind of meant health tech has meant so much to you and kind of some of the work you've done? For me, I've had the luxury of working in places like the British Army and elite sport where we had access to so much. You know, when I was in the military, we supported those servicemen and women who had been injured on operations in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we gave them deservedly everything they needed to get on their journey back to health and well-being. And it was the same in elite sport. You know, Dave Brailsford coined the phrase that team, team sky marginal gains. And that's what we were looking at. We would throw absolutely everything at it and at the individual, at the team, because we really wanted them to perform. And during my experiences in Afghanistan, um, I saw firsthand the plight of particularly women and girls and their lack of access to healthcare and the impact that had on them in their lives. And of course, it goes beyond access to healthcare in, in places like Afghanistan. But when I was then back in the elite sport world, I thought, my goodness, this the divide between what these people in front of me are experiencing now, the the knowledge, the information, 
everything they've got is just so far removed from what these people had in Afghanistan. And it was during that time I thought I really want to scale healthcare and wellness solutions and preventative healthcare solutions to more people. And I thought that has to go beyond me and my, you know, one pair of hands and 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 one set of eyes. So how do I do that? And that was when I decided to move into tech. And I'd been a physiotherapist for many years and I didn't really know very much about business. So I I went to Surrey University and did an MBA, during which time I founded a femtech company. And that was uh, that company was to help women navigate vaginal health and vaginal health conditions, because, again, something which can be quite difficult for women to access. Either they don't know what's wrong with them. It's a taboo topic. And I wanted to make that process a lot easier. Now, while I was doing that, I realized this isn't big enough. I need it to be bigger. So I joined Holland and Barrett, again, really trying to help to um offer health and well-being solutions to, to more people. And that's where I find myself now. And Holland and Barrett, everybody knows them as, a, you know, the high street supplement seller, really moving towards trying to be that wellness um, solution for people as they navigate um, their life course. So that, that's an interesting move in terms of retailers then, because getting quite specific healthcare much closer to consumers you know getting it on the high street I think that's a really interesting area and I know we've talked in the past about you know what happens to retail what happens to the high street and what does the what what does the what is the purpose of the high street is it you know it has to move away from just retail it has to move into community it has to move into healthcare as well so um do you think the retailers like Colin and Barra other other brands um that exist on the high street is that how we start to distribute healthcare in a more interesting or kind of in a fairer way? I think that's a great question. I'm hugely passionate about changing the front door of healthcare. Quite often, let's take cancer, for example, somebody will will have a breast lump detected, but essentially they'll be feeling well. So they're not necessarily engaging in that sort of healthcare or illness system that we have. So how do you capture people who are still feeling well, like even pre-diabetic people, they may not have any symptoms. So how do you engage them in health and well-being? Because we don't really want them to go through the front door of hospital. There's nothing taking them there. So how do we increase that awareness, you know, in public health with things like and cancer prevention, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, mental health. How do we put access to that sort of information and that sort of preventative healthcare in the places where people are? And for me, yes, that's on the high street. It's 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 not necessarily the physical high street. You know, where are those retailers online? How do we capture those people in the moment where they are feeling good, but yet you can just nudge them towards better behavioural changes to help them on that sort of healthier life path. And I think there's a huge desire from the NHS to engage with with industry. But there's a bit of a chasm at the moment. There's a bit of a cultural change, cultural barrier. And I think there's a huge piece of work that is happening but could potentially be accelerated to really start to reach out to the public where they are and where they need to, need to be touched. So those partnerships are just paramount for this to work? Paramount, yeah, absolutely. Not just between NHS, between all the different bodies involved. Yeah, and if you look at our health system, you know, we all know that the way the path it's on is unsustainable. There's more pressures on GPs, there's more pressures on community pharmacists, but actually, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it has to be that way. I think there are there are definitely industry partners that aren't necessarily like the likes of Holland and Barrett. There are, you know, gyms, leisure centres, 
clothing brands, you know, even ITV have launched a fantastic wellness platform, which is targeting Gen Z. And I find it really innovative because they're using their distribution channels to reach people, to talk to them about wellness. And who would have thought that ITV would have moved into that space? So we really are seeing non-traditional players starting to move towards addressing this absolutely essential need. But if we could combine health systems and governments with this industry play, I think it could be a much stronger proposition. I hadn't heard the ITV piece. I mean, you know, a broadcaster moving into that area. I mean, they can communicate and carry information and obviously have the content and probably the programming potential ability to around healthcare. But I hadn't actually thought about it as a, as a distribution kind of it's, method. Yeah, that's it's really exciting, because particularly as they've just targeted Gen Z. They said, you know, wellness mm. in that generation is different. You know, they consume media differently. They, you know, everything about their lives is different to mine. You know, I'm definitely not in that genera- generation. And so it's called Planet Woo, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and it, of course, it doesn't speak to me, it doesn't speak to my language, but it, it certainly is um, a really great way um, to reach that generation. Absolutely. Well, I'm, you know, I'm in the communication business and, you know, you have to communicate in the way that's relevant um, and right for the sector you're talking to in a way that carries the message in the, in the right way, um, in a way that shouldn't shouldn't apply to me or you um, because it's right for that audience. And, and equally, you can't ban the whole generation Gen Z in one in one group because, you know, they're not one group. They're multiple different types of people and genders and, and everything. So um, we have to get more nuanced than that. But I think at least taking that category is, is really interesting. It's a really interesting channel. Um, feels like there's a there's a whole load of maturing that needs to happen within all these businesses as they kind of find their way and work out what part they play in, in the whole process, I guess. Yes. And I think that there's a huge part that the NHS and government need to play in that. Um, I understand there's a huge amount of fear, isn't there? You know, what do partnerships with corporates look like to the NHS? What's the risk to the NHS? But if you go on the NHS website and you read up on conditions, it's fantastic information. It's accurate. It's well maintained, but it's lengthy. It's written. That is not how, you know, people are consuming information at the moment. So, but the NHS on its own aren't able to evolve and to to create that content and distribute that content. So industry partners, I think, are absolutely key to be doing that. Well, and there's a whole load of new skills in all of that, isn't there? Because, you know, whether that's the clinicians or, you know, having to learn technology and there's all these innovations, but equally everybody in, in the industry who has to work out, you know, the communications, the, the, the different things. It, for me, it feels like, you know, this is driving a whole new area of skill sets and, and capabilities that people could get into. Totally. And YouTube are doing a fantastic initiative called the Health Shelf, which is enabling clinicians and healthcare uh, practitioners to become YouTube accredited um, and for their content to be accredited uh, and for it to get the stamp of approval and said, yes, this content is verified by YouTube. It has come from a healthcare practitioner. Therefore, it's trusted. So we are seeing some really exciting things happening. Um, and I'm uh, on the advisory board for a fantastic mental health startup called Jack. Just ask a question. And that their whole mental health proposition is built around asking a very simple question and getting video content back. And it's free to access. And it's just taking that 
fear away from and that barrier away from, oh, I want to go and see a counsellor or I want to go and see uh, or I need to go and see a psychiatrist. A, you've got lengthy waiting lists, you've got costs involved. This is just putting that information uh, on someone's phone and is an absolutely great first point of contact. Mm, that's incredible. It's like, I mean, you've mentioned so many different things. It's <clears throat> like some of these things, it's finding them. And I almost wonder whether, whether the, you know, the NHS almost becomes the, the, the start point and then it is almost the portal to access all these different services, whether they're their own services or the, whether they're private services sort of um, verified by them. But like, there's so many ways in. It's like sometimes you just go, where do I even go to find this stuff? And again, that, that's a bit of marketing, isn't it, about helping people find this stuff? Yeah, I agree with you. It is marketing. And I think the NHS could be a lot better, <laughs> a lot better at that <laughs> and definitely need definitely need some help. But again, you know, when they're so strapped for cash, where all their mm. money obviously has to go to frontline services. But again, that's where some power partnerships could be truly fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When um, you've mentioned, you know, you're on some advisory things and, and again, the background you've had and the sort of businesses you've been involved in, you're very passionate about about um, digital health and 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 health tech what do you see from other people is it is it all driven by kind of a real innate passion for this stuff and passion to try and get access to people and, and sort of democratize you know healthcare in this way or what what is that the common thing you see with people oh i i that is hugely common yes i sit on um the Femtech Accelerator Advisory Board as well. And women are creating solutions that are born out of their own struggles they had in healthcare. And, but what I think we need a little bit more of is that passionate founder with a um, healthcare professional with the tech team and the three together is a bit of a dream team. Mm. I've spoken to founders who come from a technical background, but they don't have that clinical player in their founding team. I've spoken to clinicians who don't have the technical founder in the founding team. And what I've really realized over the past few years is, is you need that blend. Absolutely. You know, that clinical person is essential in a, in a digital health founding team um, because they understand the stakeholder landscape. They understand who's got the problem, who's going to pay for it, because that's a real challenge in healthcare. The person who pays for it isn't often the end user. Um, and sometimes the person who's the end, who benefits from the from the solution also isn't actually the user. So it's a really challenging landscape and to understand it um, in terms of particularly the NHS ecosystem is really difficult and takes a little bit of time. And again, that's one thing the NHS or, uh, or um, NHS England, Public Health, all of these different bodies, how they the interplay between them definitely needs to be more transparent uh, and and simplified so that we can start to stimulate uh, innovation that are, is going to benefit public health and the NHS. Because that's why we end up with so much consumer health tech, because it's really difficult to innovate for the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, that's a fantastic point. Thank you. So where do we go next? I mean, we talked about all of these different things. It's, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's hugely exciting. I can't, I can't um, believe there's, you know, there's so much going on, um, but there's so much potential and opportunity with it. Um, but unfortunately, we kind of get towards the end of the discussion and we've kind of covered um, so many things. Um, but what we haven't covered, um, which is the big final question, uh, which is, What's your unfinished business? We've all got, you know, unfinished business in life and work. What's yours? My unfinished business has to be around 
bringing together industry with the NHS. Um, as I've said a number of times during, during this recording, I don't think we're going to take the step forward in healthcare, changing health outcomes for wider populations until that happens. And I think I now have come from a fantastic position where I've been in the startup, I've been in industry, um, I've worked in the public sector. And I think that taking those relationships forward, understanding how different people perceive uh, digital health innovation, hopefully puts me in a great place that I can start to have influence within that sphere. Absolutely fantastic. I, I I hope that maybe this podcast will help get some of that message out there as well. And, you know, we can help assist you in that uh, to, to get the message out there. I think that's absolutely brilliant. So with that, our 20, 20 odd minutes are over. Um, you've been an incredible guest. Thank you so much. It's got me really thinking about all the opportunities uh, in digital health, all of the things that it can bring to people. Um, and you just seem to be in a, an incredible place to to help drive the change. So I hope that uh, continues as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased we had the chance to talk about it. For everybody listening, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. What an incredible guest. Thank you, Fee. If you're wondering this episode what my unfinished business is, well, I think after that, it has to be something to do with health tech and digital health. I don't know what, but uh, I just need to have a really good idea, I think. So yeah, so that's mine. If you listeners have any unfinished business and want to join me or know somebody who would, then please do get in touch. We've got loads more great guests to come, loads more on the, on the way, and I'm looking forward to, to listening to others as well. So if you've got somebody who you think might want to join, uh, then please let me know. Until next time, thank you. Mm-hmm.